welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Today we're going to be talking about murder, mayhem, and the insanity defense. Murder, rape, and not guilty by reason of insanity. Dum, dum, dum. (laughs) I'm putting my forensic psychiatrist hat on today, and I'm going to be talking to you about three super interesting cases in the news as we speak. And um, for different reasons, uh, and they are all very dramatic, very amazing, and obviously I wouldn't be talking to you about them unless psychiatry, forensic psychiatry, had something to do with them. Uh, Forensic psychiatry is my day job. That is what I have been doing for over 20 years, hundreds of uh, civil and criminal cases. Um, I love it. I um, I, I love finding out the truth, first of all. And I love then trying to get a jury to understand the truth as I see it and um, and then uh, deciding upon a verdict in that way. And so um, today I'm going to be talking to you about uh, a case that is right now having closing arguments in San Diego. It is California versus Helen Winslow, Jr., in case you don't know, Kellen Winslow Jr. is a, an NFL player. Um, he is not, he's fairly famous, but he's not as famous as his father, Kellen Winslow Sr. Um, so that's happening right now. That's been, uh, that trial has been going on since May 20th and uh, very dramatic. I will get into that in a minute. Let me tell you about the other two that we're going to talk about. There is a case, uh, Texas versus Brenda Delgado. That is a um, case that is kind of in the middle right now, although it doesn't seem like it's going to last very long. That is a case of um, a, a love triangle gone wrong and a woman who is on trial for um, murder. Uh, she hired, she is uh, accused of hiring a hitman to kill the new girlfriend of her lover, the man who had a relationship with her and dumped her. And so she wanted to get rid of his new lover so that she could hopefully win him back. And last but not least, we're going to be talking about the case of South Carolina versus Timothy Jones, that case. Uh, He is a man who actually, within the last, today, just within the last couple of hours, he has been found guilty The verdict just came in, and he has been found guilty of the murder of his five children. Now, I know that sounds awful, five children, killing five, how could a father kill five children, but there is a lot more to the story. But let's go now to Kellen Winslow. I have been following this story and have been uh, doing interviews about this story and so on since the beginning um, because, you know, people were interested in the case because he's this relatively famous football player, Um, and because there are five women accusing him of rape or some other kind of sexual assault. 
So we have Jane Doe 1, who said that she was raped when a man in an SUV stopped to pick her up as she was hitchhiking in Encinitas in March 2018. Now, Encinitas is all of these women, all of these instances, well, actually four of these instances happened around San Diego. So um, Jane Doe, however, uh, it has mental illness. And the uh, defense um, has, been, has been trying to rip apart all five of these women. It is really, um, they are really arrogant and really, um, uh, you know, they, they think they're, they, from the beginning, they had this attitude that they thought they were going to win. You know, I think largely because uh, of his relative celebrity status. And, you know, a lot of times celebrities do have an edge in trials, especially if there are people who are NFL fans, for example, in this case. Um, so they have had this, uh, this you know, sure attitude that, uh, that they're going to win. And the way that they plan to do it, well, what they, what they plan to do was to say that, um, and what they did, was to say that these incidents were all consensual. And the way that they were doing that, you know, in other words, to say that they weren't raped, all of these sexual incidents, um, they are, have been trying to say that somehow the women brought them on and or either the women were lying. And so the way that they went about this was by destroy, trying to destroy the credibility of the women. And so Jane Doe won, as I said, um, did have some mental illness and she had some alcoholism. And so they uh, dwelled on these aspects of her case and, or of her life. And in order to try to say that she was, she, either that she was crazy, she didn't know what, she, what happened to her or what she saw, or that she was lying. And of course, the other, the subtext of this, um, although it's not so much of a subtext, um, Helen Winslow has been saying that the reason why these women are doing this is because they hope to get money. Because what does often happen is after someone is convicted of a crime like a sexual assault, rape, um, then the woman can go after them in a civil court and try to get money for whatever it was. Jane Doe number two, she said that a man in an SUV picked her up um, and raped her in another, not, not far from there. And um, she, and that was in May 2018, so uh, just after the first Jane Doe. Now, um, first of all, the, all five of these Jane Doe's do not know each other. They had no connection to each other. They didn't know uh, that the others had reported this. So it isn't like they all got together and decided to uh, make police reports about Helen Winslow in order to have this trial, this criminal trial, and then to have a civil trial to get money. But that, so, you know, it doesn't go along with what his defense has been trying to say. But Jane Doe, too, also uh, has some problems in terms of her being homeless. And um, now she, interestingly, uh, he actually, which according to her, he actually had, um, she had met him on a couple of different occasions and he uh, was nice to her. And then one day he picked her up and at one time he offered her $50 for sex and she rejected him. 
So even though she was homeless, you know, obviously very poor, um, uh, you know, he, he offered to take her for coffee. And, um, but she, <laughs> you know, coffee is one thing, but um, she didn't want sex with her coffee. And both of these women described what Helen Winslow did in very, very similar terms. So, um, again, they did not speak to each other, hear about what the other one was going to say. Jane Doe number three was gardening at her home um, near where actually Kellen Winslow lives uh, on Lake Drive. And um, that, this, too, was in May 2018. She said that he came to, um, to her house um, when he was bicycling. He came by, and he um, chatted with her one time, and then he came back. He was asking her about whether her husband was home, and uh, she said he was. And so then he went away, and then he came back another day, and he exposed himself to her. According to this woman, he, is, he has not yet been found guilty, but I think we're getting pretty close. Um, so she was gardening, and he exposed himself to her. And um, Jane Doe number four is different. She is someone who actually came forward in regard to a rape that happened in 2003 when she was 17. This is um, when she was in college or high school, and um, there was, she said that a man raped her while she was unconscious with alcohol in a Scripps Ranch townhouse when she was 17. Now, Jane Doe 4 came forward when she heard about these other women. She did, um, she did know about these, know that there was this case, going to be this case against him or a trial against him. She didn't know the details of the other women, but um, but she came forward, and the reason why they used her, her testimony, uh, and she became one of the witnesses, was because it showed that um, Kellen did this to her when um, way back in 2003. So, in other words, he had these tendencies. He thought that it was okay to rape women um, when he when she was 17, and he was just a little bit older. Now, Jane Doe number five um, was a woman who was at a gym in Carlsbad uh, in Southern California, and um, she talked about him exposing himself himself on two different occasions at this gym. And um, the first time he would, um, he tried, he asked her to look at his, penis or his erect penis, it wasn't exposed, um, but it was obviously erect. And he said something like, you know, look at this. Do you like this? Uh, or you like this, don't you? Something like that. And this happened in February 2019. So, and of course, Jane Doe number five, um, oh, and he did his second exposure was when uh, she was another time, two weeks later, she was in a jacuzzi at this gym, and he came into the jacuzzi with a very small towel on. Um, She believed that he was naked under the towel, and he was masturbating. And in the first incident, he also was stroking himself, uh, according to her report. So there are similarities. There are two rapes. 
There are two times that, that he exposed himself, two different women that he exposed himself to, actually three rapes, and the first rape from, you know, when, from 2003. So, no, can you find problems with each of these cases? You know, they tried to find, the defense tried to find um, inconsistencies uh, and just problems with the women, problems with their report. You know, were they perfect? No. But um, the fact that there are five of them and they all are saying similar stories. Now, what's also interesting is, is that except for the woman who was 17 in 2003, all of the other women, the rape victims and the, uh, the alleged rape victims, I know I should say, but I believe that he is guilty. That's my opinion. I'm not the expert in the case, but um, I mean, I, I wasn't retained in the case to give expert testimony, but I can tell you my opinion. Um, and so, uh, so all of the women, except for the 17-year-old, are older women. Uh, they vary... Um, in age, and the oldest one is the one who was, he exposed himself to in the gym, and she was 77. Now, um, the, clearly this is a man, um, Kellen Winslow, who has mommy issues. Uh, not to say, certainly, um, not to say that women, even women who are 77, can't be um, sexually attractive and desirable. Obviously they are. Um, and, and, you know, that that's, that it's crazy that he would do this to women, um, to older women. But the fact that he does choose women, and most of his victims, alleged victims, are uh, older, does show that he does have mommy issues, that he is attracted to women, older women. Again, not, not all men, not all men who are with older well, actually, that's not true. Um, typically, women who are with, typically men who are with older women are looking to be nurtured somewhat. But that isn't to say that they are not sexually attracted to them and um, have don't have uh, um, active sex lives. So, but you know, again, the pattern is what is important. That um, that these women, not knowing about each other, not knowing their age, did not like. Uh, you know, come together and with this plan. So by mommy issues, I mean in this case that um, he is fixated at the Oedipal stage, the stage when that all little girls and little boys go through, um, typically between three and five, three and seven, when little girls want to marry their daddies and little boys want to marry their mommies. They want they want to steal the love and attention of their mommy or daddy away from um, the husband or the wife. And so, uh, and that's all fine. It's a normal stage to go through, but if there is some trauma that occurred at this stage, then, um, like, for example, another sibling being born and taking away the love and attention, or uh, the mother or father that the child is competing with to get the other parent's attention dies suddenly and the child feels guilty, feels like somehow they killed them because of their wishes that they would disappear so that they could have mommy or daddy's attention all to themselves. Now, I don't know what happened in Kellen Winslow's childhood when he was between three and seven, but I would venture to say (laughs) that it was some kind of trauma and or that um, his mommy was one who was not very nurturing and um, 
and that he has been, now he's married, by the way, and he has at least one child, and he's still been doing this. Um, and, oh, and that was another thing. The, the defense has tried to say that, um, that uh, you know, all he's guilty of is having affairs or having, they weren't really affairs, they were one-time kinds of things, but um, having, having sex out of marriage. Um, you know, since when is rape? Um, I mean, that's, that's a very um, unfortunate way of describing rape, uh, sex out of marriage. Um, what else? Now, what I think, uh, as I said, today is closing arguments. And I think that the jury, unless they are going to be swayed by the celebrity status of Kellen Winslow, the defense is going to be in for a rude awakening. They have been arrogant. They have been smug as they questioned the victims and tried to tear them down one by one as if being mentally ill, the first uh, Jane Doe 1 or homeless Jane Doe 2, is more of a crime than their being raped. Um, also, um, the defense has underestimated the power of these five victims to convince a jury of their assault. Um, because each of these women, you know, yes, they each had flaws that you could pick up on, and I'm sure that's going to be what the defense is going to be talking about in these closing arguments today, but they each were very convincing. Like Jane Doe 1 and 2, the mentally ill woman and the, and the homeless woman, you know, may not have been as sophisticated in their descriptions and so on, uh, and their presentation, but um, certainly they were credible. Uh, they were really believable. The emotion that they had there to talking about this rape um, was very, very convincing. And that will, I believe, again, unless the jury is swayed by his celebrity status, they will see this real emotion um, for what it is, and they will see that these women are really credible and believe that, um, you know, there, <laughs> there can't be any other explanation um, other than that this, what they're saying, what they're alleging that he did is true. So um, we need to take a break now. When, I, when we come back, um, I will give you a little bit more, talk a little bit more about Kellen Winslow, but then I will go on to the other two cases who are also uh, incredibly interesting. So stay tuned. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the Terrorism Hotline 
And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today. So contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with you today about murder, rape, and the defense of not guilty by reason of insanity. We're starting out by talking about rape and other sexual offenses um, alleged against Kellen Winslow Jr. He is a relatively famous NFL player. Um, by the way, his father has been, who is a much more famous uh, NFL player, Kellen Winslow Sr., has been attending the trial every day. You know, why do you think that is? <laughs> uh, I'm sure um, Kellen Jr.'s attorneys asked him to. I mean, his father might well, of course, have wanted to be there. I'm not saying it was just because they asked him to, but certainly since his father is more famous, that is having a better chance of getting the jury to acquit the son because of the celebrity status of the father in particular or in addition to Kellen. Now, of course, you know, we have seen many examples of cases where celebrityhood, celebrity status um, gets someone acquitted who shouldn't have been acquitted. And, of course, the best example I can think of right now is the trial of last century, O.J. Simpson. He was found, he was acquitted, and uh, in his criminal trial, of course, when he then had a civil trial, he was uh, found guilty, um, or found responsible, found, he was made, the, the, his, uh, the plaintiffs, the families of the people who he killed, won, but they have yet to see uh, much more than a dime from him for all the good that did. So, so it will not be surprising, um, but it will be incredibly disappointing if the jury comes back in the next day or two or three um, saying, finding Kellen Winslow Jr. not guilty. Now, one thing, um, at the very beginning of the case, there was um, the possibility uh, that the defense was going to be or include that Kellen had chronic traumatic encephalopathy. That is um, what boxers get, what fo- football players get. It's been in the news a lot. It is from, um, it, it is most often happening in a sport when so, where someone gets repeated blows to the head. 
They don't have to be super, super hard, but if there are enough of them and they are repeated, um, they can cause this damage, chronic traumatic encephalopathy, a disease of the brain that can have all kinds of uh, consequences, behavioral consequences. And so they, in fact, they had had uh, Kellen examined by two psychiatrists who were supposed to testify about this. Maybe the psychiatrist found that he didn't have it. I don't know what the reason is for why they didn't go with that, except, except primarily that they would have had to admit that Kellen did do all of these things that the women are saying that he did. And also, you know, if the psychiatrists were um, honest, (laughs) the expert witnesses, which isn't always the case, um, but they would have to say that, you know, they would have to find a way to explain how chronic traumatic encephalopathy could have caused the kinds of behavior that Kellen Jr. exhibited. And that is not so easy because most of the, most of the things that people get um, are, uh, they can, there have been instances of violence and there have been, um, you know, more commonly issues like memory problems, cognitive problems, uh, problems in concentration, that kind of thing. Um, it would be hard, really, to extend the diagnosis of chronic traumatic encephalopathy to these stories of these five women. And certainly, he didn't have CTE um, when he was a little older than 17 and raped the first woman. So there were problems with going with that defense as well. But I think they overplayed their hands. I think they, the defense, uh, counting on the idea that um, that these women, that they could tear these women apart and make them not believable. I think they were too arrogant <laughs> and too too much counting on his celebrityhood than they should have. But we will see. We will see what happens um, when the when the verdicts come in, which I think will probably be maybe by the end of this week. Okay, let's talk about the next case that I mentioned, Texas versus Brenda Delgado. This is currently on trial. This is a very interesting case. Um, They're all interesting that I'm going to be talking about to you about. Um, Brenda is an extreme example of a woman scorned. She was... um, She's charged, as I said before, she is currently on trial for um, hiring a hitman to murder the new girlfriend, whose name is Kendra Hatcher, um, of her ex-boyfriend, of Brenda's ex-boyfriend, Dr. Ricky, Dr. Ricardo Paniagua. Now, Dr. Ricardo, who's a dermatologist, I think has fancied himself or has been somewhat of a player and fancied himself God's gift to women. Um, and he dated Brenda um, for about two years altogether. He dated her once for um, about a year and a half or a little more, and then they broke up, and then he dated her again for several months. So altogether, it was about two years. And how do you think he broke up with her, at least the last time? How do you think he broke up with her? By email. 
So this case <laughs> should be a warning to all of you guys out there who think it's okay to break up with a woman by email, especially a woman who you've been dating for almost two years. Um, I mean, that isn't to say <laughs> that isn't to say that there isn't something very wrong with Brenda Delgado, um, who hired this hitman to murder Dr. Ricky's new girlfriend, Kendra. Now, um, this she was obsessed with him, and she didn't want to let him go, and. Um, she followed him after he broke up with her. Um, it's not really clear of what she did the first time he broke up with her, how much stalking and so on she did. But certainly the second time, you know, when I guess she thought, oh, wow, he came back. I mean, that was part of the problem, that he came back to her a second time. And so that is what made her think that um, if she got rid of his current girlfriend, uh, she could get him to come back to her a third time. So Brenda, um, who I have not examined, but from my experience and from my having written the book, Bad Girls, Why Men Love Them and How Good Girls Can Learn Their Secrets, um, Brenda fits into the uh, bad girl scorned type. And those women typically are, have borderline personality disorders. And what they do is, first they get revenge, they stalk the man who broke up with them, and then they get revenge in various kinds of horrible ways. Not, not all of them necessarily kill somebody, but uh, like there was one who put up a big billboard in Times Square in New York announcing their uh, affair, so hoping that he would then break up with his wife or really that his wife would break up with him. This is a different guy. I'm talking about a different bad girl. But I'm just giving you examples of um, what this type of bad girl scorned can do. Um, But Brenda is an extreme example of a bad girl scorned and clearly um, has some psychological problems, as I said, most likely borderline personality disorder. She has also been uh, reportedly uh, involved with uh, Mexican cartels. She's from Mexico, and she has a ton of money, and she has access to drugs, and um, she, it has been reported, and it's interesting that Dr. Ricky kept going out with her, for almost two years. Um, I don't know how she, if she could have kept that hidden from him. But in any case, it's certainly in the media now, her connection to Mexican cartels. And, um, and she flaunted her wealth, and which is how she was able to get people to, um, to go along with her plot to murder the um, current girlfriend of, his, of Dr. Ricky. So um, so she asked a number of people to help her get rid of Kendra. She had a number of different plans. Brenda must spend a lot of time watching um, crime shows, you know, like <laughs> Criminal Minds or SBU. Those are my, two of my favorite shows. And you can learn a lot <laughs> from watching those shows about what not to do if you are a criminal, what works and what doesn't work. And I think she must have uh, watched them or other criminal shows, um, a lot of them. 
because she had these various ideas of how to get rid of Kendra, the current girlfriend. And, and Dr. Ricky, by the way, was getting, um, time, time was ticking because Dr. Ricky was getting more and more serious with um, Kendra. And so she, she felt like she had to do something, Brenda did. And her ideas were killing her by injections of heroin or injections of a sedative or shooting her. And she spoke to a number of people. I mean, she wasn't keeping this a secret. Why none of these people called the police? Who knows? <laughs> they felt they were friends of hers. They were uh, relatives of hers. They were protecting her. They were afraid to get involved. Maybe they were afraid the Mexican cartel would come after them. I don't know. But in any case, she finally found two people who would do it. And, and of course, they would get a reward with her promise, uh, money and drugs. And she found a friend, she had a girlfriend, Crystal Cortez. Crystal was going to be and was the driver. And then Crystal had a friend, Christopher Love, um, who was going to be the shooter and was, in fact, the shooter. Now, Crystal and, and Christopher were, in fact, convicted already and are serving time. In fact, um, Christopher, the shooter, has been given the, a death sentence. He's in jail waiting to die. Now, Crystal Cortez, um, they, were, they were convicted of capital murder. And Crystal Cortez was going to have some kind of a lengthy sentence, maybe not die, she didn't pull the trigger, but she was going to have uh, a lengthy sentence. And um, she decided, or she was offered, or somehow her attorney got her a deal, and uh, that if she testified against both Christopher, the shooter, and Brenda, that she would only get only 35 years. So that's what Crystal did. And, and Crystal has a son. Um, I mean, like, it, it just boggles my mind how someone would go along to do something like this. Well, none of them thought they were going to get in trouble, of course. Um, they were all surprised when the death, the murder of Kendra, um, got national attention. She was killed in a, they killed her in a garage. They stalked her for weeks to get her, um, find out her schedule. And they picked the garage of her building where she lived uh, as the place to shoot her. They waited for her in the garage. They knew when she would get home, and then they shot her. And they tried to make it look like a robbery, but um, the, the authorities weren't buying that. Then Brenda, Brenda was questioned by police. They were each questioned by police. Um, Brenda was questioned first because the car that was involved, they caught a, the car on, on video. And the person whose car it was was a friend of Brenda's. Brenda asked to borrow the car, and she lent it then to Crystal for this uh, murder. And so, um, so the guy whose car it was told the police that that's my car, and I lent it to Brenda. And Brenda then said, I lent it to Crystal. So Brenda was questioned by police, and, you know, she denied having any involvement or knowledge of what was happening, and she then quickly fled to Mexico. But the U.S. put her on the um, FBI's top ten women um, fugitives, and she was caught. They gave it for a $100,000 reward. They returned her to the U.S., and that's why she is now on trial. And... Um, and I, I watched her lawyer's opening statement, and she, <laughs> he was not very good, not at all. Um, and so she is probably in deep trouble 
Um, now, Rick, Dr. Ricky, uh, <laughs> he bears some responsibility for the tragedy also because, as I was saying, he broke up, you know, with Brenda twice and then broke up with her by email. Um, he claims that he knows, knew nothing about Brenda still being obsessed with him. I do not buy that because um, she kept appearing at places where he was and she was stalking him on social media and Kendra via social media. And, but like, um, she, I think she, for at least for some of it, she put, she made uh, different identities on social media. So, okay, you could maybe excuse that. But he claims that he thought it was just coincidence that she kept showing up like where he, um, he would always do these runs every day. And so, of course, she knew where he would do his runs, his, uh, go for a jog. And, um, and lo and behold, she would be coming in the opposite direction when he was jogging in one direction. And then she showed up at some cafe. I mean, she was following his every move. And there is no way, I mean, that he, <laughs> that he could not have realized that. And he should have. He met this girl who was killed, Kendra, on a dating, an Internet dating site. And he had had a previous girlfriend who uh, Brenda who's now on trial, had previously stalked. And um, she knew when they were, where they were going, when they were going there. And, you know, she, that was one of the times when she showed up at a restaurant where he was with this previous girlfriend. And um, so there was no way, I mean, he, there's no way that he couldn't have realized. And certainly he must have known how much, uh, care, uh, how much Brenda didn't want him to break up with her to begin with. The first time, the second time, I and mean, I'm sure she made that clear. So he should have um, he should have realized. I mean, he dated her for almost two years. He should have realized how dangerous she is, and it was really partly his fault, in my opinion, that uh, Kendra died, was murdered, because he shouldn't have been dating anybody so close to the time that he broke up with uh, Brenda. Yes, I should have mentioned that it was very close. First, he had this other girlfriend, then he had had Kendra, and um, he should have he he should have realized that he was really uh, putting these women in danger. These women who he was dating. And another little tweak uh, is that Brenda's mother, uh, the mastermind of the murder, Brenda, um, her mother was the, a clean was cleaning Dr. Ricky's house from for a long time now, and. Um, and clearly, the mother was snooping through his things and finding out information for Brenda as well. So, you know, he couldn't have gotten another cleaning woman. <laughs> I mean, I think, uh, I think he has to take some responsibility for the murder of Kendra. So we'll see what's happening, what happens with this trial, um, what the jury thinks. And... Um, I don't know that she's having a psychiatric expert because she is just pleading not guilty. Well, when we come back, we're going to be talking about the third murder and mayhem case, uh, the one that was the, where the verdict just came through today, the case of South Carolina versus Timothy Jones. So stay tuned. Ask 
the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Tune into the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with you today about murder and mayhem and not guilty by reason of insanity. Um, today, now, uh, actually just a few minutes before we uh, started to um, host this show today, um, the, a verdict came back in a case of South Carolina versus Timothy Jones for the murder of his five children. Now, I'm sure that part of the reason why they came back with a guilty verdict is because um, that's such a <laughs> it's such a horrendous crime to think about a father being capable of killing his five children, and the children ranged in age. There was Abigail, one years old, one year old; Gabriel, two years old; Natan, six years old; Elias, seven years old; and Mara Grace, eight years old. So one to eight. Um. Natan is the one, the first one that he killed, um, and then, and, and he killed him by, um, well, let me, I'll get into the details in a minute, but the thing is, the jury had a choice of five, they could have found four different verdicts, uh, guilty, not guilty, not guilty by reason of insanity, and guilty but mentally ill, and the, which is the one that I thought that he should have gotten, guilty but mentally ill. Um, he pled not guilty by reason of insanity, and the jury wasn't convinced that, um, that he was insane. That is, he didn't know right from wrong 
at the time of the murders. Um, they had, it was an example of a case that has the battle of the experts. You know, there was one expert for the defense um, who talked about his being mentally ill, and I'll describe to you what she said. Um, and then, of course, there was the state psychiatrist, and um, he was saying that he wasn't mentally ill um, and that he knew right from wrong at the time of the offenses. So let me tell you about the offenses. Um, first of all, um, the first child, Natan, the six-year-old, six was uh, murdered by, well, he, um, Timothy, the father, used to punish the children by making them do exercise. <laughs> I don't know. You know, there are parents who, I don't know where this idea came about that that is a good punishment for children to make them do exercise. I mean, there was a case you may have heard about uh, from a couple of years ago of a mother or a grandmother who made her young child um, do exercise because she did something wrong and she made her walk around the yard um, for hours and hours and finally the little girl dropped dead. And um, so this is, kind of, this is basically <laughs> what happened here. Um, he made, well, what happened was um, he thought that Natan had done something with an electrical circuit. And um, the father thought that Natan had done this on purpose. The father was paranoid. I mean, the father does have a mental illness, in, um, uh, in my opinion. I, the, I think that the psychiatrist for the defense was correct, Dr. Julie Dorney. Uh, she diagnosed him as having schizoaffective schizophrenia. And, uh, and in fact, his mother has been in a mental institution for 20 years with schizophrenia, so it's like, duh, <laughs> you know, schizophrenia is a genetic disorder. Uh, not everybody who has a schizophrenic parent or relative develops schizophrenia, but they um, have the genes for a predisposition to schizophrenia. So if you then have traumas during your life and you have the genetic predisposition to schizophrenia, or another example that is now... Um, becoming more and more prevalent is um, if you have a predisposition to schizophrenia and you smoke pot, you um, are likely to have the schizophrenia manifest itself. You know, people think that it's just fine and dandy that pot is legal in all these states. All these states are thinking, and so it's so cool, we're going to have pot legal in our state. Really, it's about the states, the government, wanting to make more money by the taxes that they put on the pot sellers. Um, we are going to have in, in five, I mean, it's already starting, but we are going to have in five years, there are going to be so many people, more mentally ill people um, that, you know, related to this, they're, they're underlying either manic depressive illness or schizophrenia um, activated by the pot that it is, you know, all of a sudden everybody's going to be shocked. Oh, we didn't know. We thought there was no harm in this. Anyhow, I'm getting off track, but it is one of my uh, pet peeves because I have seen what happens to patients um, when they smoke pot and they have some kind of underlying uh, psychotic disorder. 
in any case, back to Timothy Jones and, um, and his having been convicted, found guilty for the murder of his five children. So now poor Timothy Jones, um, his, he had problems growing up. Um, his, as I said, he felt abandoned by his mother. I think he actually was abandoned by her, you know, voluntarily abandoned by her before she was then put in a mental hospital for 20 years. Um, so her abandonment is really what's at the root of this whole case. Because what happened is that um, Tim married a woman who, and, and had all these children, uh, except for actually the last, well, including the last one, but there was a question as to whether the last one was his, but they did a paternity test, and even the one-year-old did turn out to be his. But his wife um, had an affair with a neighbor, a younger man, a teenager, a 19-year-old. <laughs> and, um, and, she, and he found out about it, and, um, and she ultimately uh, left him for this man, well, they got divorced. I mean, Tim filed for divorce. The father filed for divorce when he saw that the that his wife was having this affair. Because why why was that so traumatic? Because it brought back. I mean, no man likes his wife to have an affair, but it brought back all the memories, the most traumatic event of his life, which was his mother having abandoned him and then being locked up in a mental hospital for twenty years, which is another kind of abandonment as well. He grew up without a mother, in other words. And part of his killing his children was after he killed the first child, which was really pretty much by accident. Um, even the both psychiatrists kind of acknowledged that um, because he, uh, after he made him do a lot of exercise, he then um, sent him to his room and the son had gotten too... Um, physically hurt, and he died. And when he saw his son died, um, he then strangled four other children, presumably because he didn't want to be found out. He didn't want there to be witnesses. Um, also, though, he said that he didn't want, he wanted his children to all be in heaven together because he knew what it was like to grow up without a mother and he didn't want them to have that. Now, actually, let me backtrack a little bit. So after he discovered that his wife was having an affair and he um, filed a divorce and they had a custody battle as well, his wife, the mother, did not really, uh, they got joint custody, but the mother gave physical custody, you know, gave possession in a sense of the children to him. They, she let him... She let the children live with him. Now, she claimed it was because she didn't have money for a lawyer and her family didn't have any money for a lawyer. She wouldn't have won to get, but that, that is just not true. She just wanted to be off on her own to go on her merry way with this 19-year-old and start another life. And so the mother, in my opinion, is as guilty for this murder, these murders, as uh, the father. And, and she has the nerve, by the way, to, um, she is, suing, let's see, she is suing the Department of Child Services. Well, that's okay because, yes, the Child, Department of Child Services had been uh, involved with this family for a number of years off and on because there would be reports of uh, physical abuse that they were like, too, the punishment was too harsh, you know, 
spanking the children and so on. But they kept closing the case, and they didn't do anything to take the children away. So, you know, I, I mean, the Child Protective Services um, is failing in all states. Um, I mean, in many different states. And so, yes, I think that they should be taken to task for this, certainly. But she's also suing the five retailers who sold synthetic marijuana to the father, to, the, you know, to her ex-husband, um, because that was part of what happened on the day of the murders, that he um, was smoking um, marijuana that had been laced you know, with uh, ketamine. It was synthetic marijuana or, or marijuana that had been laced with things, and that contributed to his um, psychosis at the time of this murder. The problem is there were enough things that, um, that showed that he wasn't totally psychotic at the time of the murders. He was paranoid. Um, you know, he was got angry at um, well, actually, there are different stories. He got angry at the boy, the first six-year-old boy, for doing something with the electric uh, outlet that he thought was um, maybe to hurt him or something. And then also he, he got angry because he said the boy was going to hurt himself on it. So, you know, he wasn't in his right mind, I will say, uh, at the time of these murders. Um, in fact, the defense psychiatrist, Dr. Dorney, explained that he, uh, at the time of the murders, he was being influenced by schizophrenia, by a mood disorder, so that's the schizoaffective schizophrenia, and by the spice, um, you know, the, the uh, um, adulterated marijuana, and by his history of having had a traumatic brain injury. So, you know, um, all of that, I agree with, um, which is why I think the jury should have found him guilty uh, but mentally ill and sent him to a mental hospital for his for life. Um, and it really was rather cruel that they <laughs> that they just found him guilty. And then, of course, in the penalty phase, they're going to be deciding what he gets, and chances are he's going to be uh, um, executed, um, get, get a death penalty. Uh, you know, these kids are so cute also, by the way, when you just look at their pictures and then you look at this man who um, showed no emotion, you know, he, uh, even when the verdicts were, re- were read, the only emotion he showed was a rage or, or hatred, not really rage, but just deep, deep hatred coming through his eyes at his ex-wife when she was testifying. Anyhow, all of these, all of these um, three cases are tragic, uh, people dying, people getting raped, um, and yes, there is some something wrong <laughs> with all of these people who were the perpetrators of these crimes. Well, thank you for listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. 